our services. For our guests, if you're new uh, to Sunday morning, we have been working our way through the book of Joshua. And when we got to chapter 22, there's been a couple of different themes that we've dealt with. And as we've gotten into the, the meat of it, we're dealing with how to, and it sounds contradictory, but how to fight for unity. How to fight for unity. Um, Psalm 133, if you don't know it, it's a great chapter, but verse 1 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's a tragedy, but sometimes some of the greatest battles in the life of a believer are with other believers. And it, it ought not be so. And yet it, and yet it is. And, and, and I hope you understand my heart, not only as a pastor, but as your brother in Christ. I want by the help of God, for us to all take personally to protect what God has given us. Because it's not guaranteed. Unity must be fought for in the right way. In, In our text, the children of Israel have inherited the land, and two and a half of the tribes are on the are on the eastern side of Jordan, and the other tribes are on the western side of Jordan. And so what we read is that the two and a half tribes, when they go back to the eastern side of Jordan, they set up an altar that I believe, based on what the text says, is a replica of the altar that they, they were familiar with, and they set it up. And their intention was to set it up as a witness to the fact that they belonged to the nation that was in, if we can call it this, the mainland on the western side of the river. They set it up there to be a testimony on the banks of the Jordan that we belong to this nation. And their fear was that in generations to come, the children of those on the western side of Jordan would refuse to allow access to those, their children on the eastern side of Jordan. And so they had set up this altar to be a witness. Well, the, the ten tribes... They hear about the altar and they think, and you understand, if you know anything about the history of the nation of Israel, you understand their suspicion. They think that they are giving into idolatry already. And so they send to them in verse number 15, and they came into the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half tribe of Manasseh unto the land of Gilead, and they spake with them saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that ye have builded you an altar, that ye might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord? And it will be, seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. They're literally saying, listen, if you're being influenced by wickedness over here, we'll make room. We'll settle for less property so that you can be right with God. Their hearts are in the right place. 
But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. It's such an important truth that your sin affects others. So here's what's happening. They see the altar. They think they're committing idolatry. And we dealt with this last week. What do you do when you don't understand what someone is doing? You know what they did? They asked. <laughs> you make sure that you are, your assessment is accurate before you act on that assessment. We have a bad habit of assessing people from a distance and then not, a, then not taking the time to confirm that assessment. Oh, look at me. I'm not re-preaching this message. No, 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 please look at me. I know I'm short of stature, but you need to get this. You walk by somebody on a Sunday morning and you have no idea what's going on in their life and they're not smiling at you like you think you deserve and you go home and create this whole narrative about what they're thinking about you when in truth their heart is breaking and they could have really used someone to say hi and give them a hug. No, I will pre-preach it if I need to. Please get this. We are not, by the help of God, going to be a church that assesses people from a distance and then does not make sure that we are accurate in that assessment. People are hurting. People have burdens. People have needs. Don't act like you know until you actually know. It's okay that you think you know, but you better make sure you know before you act on it. So dangerous, brothers and sisters. But I want you to see this is equally as dangerous. The children on the east side, they're misunderstood. The typical response, how dare you? But that's not what they did. This is wonderful. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth, and Israel he shall know. If it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day. That we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear, a genuine concern of this thing, saying, In time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, What have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben, and children of Gad, ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. There was a genuine concern that their generations continue to follow God. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us, that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore said we, that it shall be when they should say so say to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again, behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made. 
Not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, or for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God that is before his tabernacle. And then Phinehas the priest and the princes of the congregation and heads of the thousands, they heard it, it pleased them, and they said in verse 31, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us. I'm going to stop right there. Do you know why they perceived that God was among them? First of all, they perceived it because they responded the right way when they didn't understand. The second reason they perceived that God was among them is because they responded the right way when they were misunderstood. Last week, how to fight for unity when you don't understand. This week, how to fight for unity when you are misunderstood. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Miss Bev has been so gracious. She's been, I had to make her stand up a little longer. She's been gone for a couple of weeks visiting their daughter and their son-in-law and just being a blessing to them. Thankful for the time. Miss Bev's a blessing with her musical ability, but it's not her ability that's primarily a blessing. Ability in itself is not a blessing. It's the spirit with which you possess and utilize that ability. So Miss Bev is going to sing. Trust that you'll let the song minister to your heart.
So the, while she's singing that song, I'm thinking about my inadequacies as a father. And, you know, with eight kids, whether you have one kid or lots of kids, there are going to be times when they need, and maybe you're not in the right frame of mind to give, or you just don't have the time to give them what they need. And I just, in asking God to forgive me for not always being a good dad, thanking my Savior that he always has time for every one of his children. And you'll never call on him that he won't be attentive to you. And you'll never have need that he won't be available to help you. It's a blessing. Thank you, Miss Bev, for ministering to us in that way. We praise the Lord for that truth. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we live in a culture that is increasingly easily offended. There are ridiculous stories about this. One employee was reported to HR because he referred to himself as pasty white. No, he referred to himself as pasty white, and then he was reported to HR. One man really upset a woman that was in his presence because he referred to his darker complected brother as bro. So biological, it's his biological brother. They have different complexions. And the lighter one referred to the darker complected one as bro. And so this virtuous bastion of protecting sensitivity began to tell him that he was a racist because in her words, white people can't be related to Mexicans. But the problem with her assessment was that they weren't Mexican. <laughs> they were part white and part Native American. And like can happen with every ethnicity, some can be a little darker and some can be a little lighter. It's called genetics <laughs> and diversity even within the same family and it happens all the time. Some of my favorite memories, because I have a terrible attitude, but some of my favorite memories are when just in public. I, I've been taught to show respect to people even if I don't know them. And, and so for in, in our home, and I'm not saying it has to be exactly this way, but we, we didn't respond to mom and dad with yeah or yes or whatever. It was yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, no, sir, and no, ma'am. And we weren't taught to do that because we needed to be afraid of them. We were taught to do that because we needed to respect them. We needed to respect their authority, their experience. We needed to respect their investment in us. And so I, I've never, it, it, okay, not never. <laughs> but most of the time when I've used those responses, it's not been for the purpose of insulting anyone. It's just, it's second nature to me. I just say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir, no, ma'am. I'm not, I'm not thinking anything else. And as a teen, I've been chewed out in Walmart, basically got run out of a library, and the library one is kind of questionable on my end because she was really getting on my nerves, and so I started getting on her nerves a little bit. But just the statement of, yes, ma'am, are you calling me old? Well, I mean, if the shoe fits, I don't... Come on, what do you want me to do? I'm 14 and doing what my dad and mom told me, for crying out loud. I'm just saying, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. It may not be your cultural thing. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, and yet there is a tendency, and it's increasing today. People are looking to be offended. 
This, this individual isn't saved that I know of. Maybe he is. I don't know of this. But his name is Tim Kreider, and he's a political cartoonist and op-ed writer for the New York Times. No, and, and listen, this is, he describes the, the, the current cultural state as an addiction to outrage. And he said, these are people who have been vigilantly on the lookout for something to be offended by and found it. Obviously, and, he, and this is, please get this statement. Obviously, some part of us loves feeling two things. There are two things that some part of this current culture loves to feel. We love to feel, number one, that we're always right. And we love to feel that we're constantly being wronged. I love feeling that I'm right. And I love feeling like I am being victimized for being right. But outrage, he makes this statement, outrage is like a lot of other things that feel good at the moment. Over time, they consume you from the inside out. You know, part of the problem with constantly being offended is that sometimes you are wrong. And you can't be helped if you aren't willing to listen to an opinion that contradicts what you think, that counters the way that you're living your life. It's even more ridiculous, he goes on to say, than most vices, or more insidious than most vices, because we don't even consciously acknowledge that it's a pleasure. We prefer to think of it as a disagreeable, as disagreeable but fundamentally healthy reaction to negative stimuli like pain or nausea, rather than to admit that it's a shameful kick we eagerly indulge in again and again and again. It's an addiction to being outraged. And as I think about this, as I survey the culture of our nation, and then tragically survey the culture of Christianity, we are increasingly becoming addicted to being offended at what somebody else did or what somebody else said. We are committed to feeling always right and always being wronged. But then another author asked this, who is a Christian? Is this a fruitful way for Christians in particular to engage in public conversations about the issue of the day? People who are easily offended feel they are superior, and somehow their act is self-righteous and justified. But the reality is truth is what offends people. As a side note, believers, you're not going to help anybody know Jesus Christ if you can't handle them having a different opinion than you. You're not going to help this church stay right. If you can't be mature enough to handle opinions that are different than yours and work through those things. And just because people disagree with you or misunderstand you doesn't mean that their intent is bad. I'm going to say that again. This is hard to swallow. Just because people disagree with you or misunderstand you doesn't mean their intent is bad. They may be wrong. They may be misunderstanding. Their position may be wrong, but it doesn't mean that their intent is bad. Now, there are times when intent is bad. 
There are times when the motive is to sow discord and to cause destruction. There are times when the intent is to disregard the truth of God and being ethical. And you end up dividing relationships, dividing a church, causing all sorts of fractures and damage along the way. There are times when that happens. But there are also times when things are, the intent is not to hurt, is not to hurt but there is an opinion. And though it's wrong, it's a, it's a sincere opinion that they just need help working through or there is a genuine misunderstanding. And because people aren't willing in maturity to understand what they misunderstand or to understand what they think, we automatically jump to being offended and we assume the same thing that we're upset with them assuming, which is our motive. In our text, there are several things I want to share with you about how or what an unoffended response looks like. First of all, just in general, don't be offended that people don't understand everything that you're doing. Some, sometimes people don't get it. Look, I try to have an open door policy as a pastor, meaning this. You can ask me about anything that's going on. Now, I'm not, I'm not promising you two things. Number one, that I'm going to be in a position to where I have the freedom to give you all the information. Number two, that you're going to agree with everything. But we true, do try to do things with reason. But then anybody that's ever interested in being a part of West Valley, being a part of this church family, I ask them this question multiple times in the conversations that we have. Is there anything you don't understand? Is there anything that kind of rubs you the wrong way or that feels weird or that you would like some clarification on? Because I want people to understand what's going on. I want people to be aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. We don't have two different church cultures here where there's this secret society and we've got things back there that we're doing that nobody knows about. No, we try to have openness and transparency and there is a leadership structure that's set up to create a natural, a natural source of accountability and awareness and moving in the right direction. But the, and there's no intent to hide anything from anyone, but the truth is you're not always going to understand. And so I don't need to be the kind of pastor that's walking around with a chip on his shoulder because someone doesn't understand something and their natural inclination is to say, I don't really like this. I really don't understand this. Well, how dare you say that to me? Why? Because I like everything? Because there's never been things that I haven't misunderstood? And so don't be offended that someone doesn't understand or doesn't like or is misreading a situation. Learn to be mature enough that people cannot understand what's going on. You don't, you don't immediately hit the attack button. Let me get out of church and just get a little more personal. How about in your marriages? You know, husband, sometimes your wife isn't going to understand everything that you're doing. And you may say, well, look, I have a legitimate reason for why I'm doing it. Well, if you have a legitimate reason for why you're doing it, you shouldn't be so bothered that you get to spend, and I didn't say have to, but get to spend a little time making sure she understands why you're doing it. Sometimes as husbands, we just don't want to be bothered because our wife needs the affirmation or security of the direction that we're trying to go and the things that we're trying to accomplish. Don't be offended because she has questions. 
Hey, guys, don't be offended if she asks you what you're looking at on your phone. What you got to hide anyway from your spouse. Don't be offended if she asks you what you're doing after work. Don't be offended about it. Why, why, why do you need to be offended? Ladies, don't be offended that your husband doesn't understand everything that you're doing. Well, I've been doing this for years. Well, maybe in the busyness of life, he just now noticed it. Amen. We've been married for 45 years. Congratulations. Why, why are you going to be mad about it? If he asked you a question, okay, you, are you asking me a question like you're the head of this home? Well, I mean, the Bible says that he is. But maybe it's just about inquiring about what's going on. Maybe sometimes every question a husband asks isn't about control. It's about understanding. Don't get quiet. <laughs> Some of you guys are nervous right now. You need to be okay. I'm up here saying this. Just because he's asking a question doesn't mean his intent is bad, so why be offended about it? Don't be offended that people don't understand. And then I wrote this down, especially when you haven't explained it. By the way, parents, don't be offended that your kids ask questions. Okay, young people, you look at me. Give me your eyeballs. You never have license to be disrespectful. No, 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 no. Thank you, Ben. I want the rest of you young men to agree with this. You never have license to be disrespectful to your parents. Okay, I'm still not getting it. Caleb, you need to say yes, sir, or amen. You never have license to be disrespectful to your mama. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Danielle, you never have license to be disrespectful to your mom or dad. Yep, you're right. You don't. But parents... It's okay that your, have, your kids have questions about what's going on. We have this attitude as our kids get older. No, you just need to do what I say. Well, they do need to do what you say, but it's helpful for their development if they understand what you're doing and why you're doing at times. And if they have an honest question about a rule that you have, if they have an honest question about a direction that you're going or something that you've told them they can't do, don't be offended by that. Don't blow up on them because they want to understand what's going on. Man, we as parents, we need to be approachable to our kids. Not, not accepting of disrespect, but we need to be approachable to them. Number two, believe the best about the people that, you, that misunderstand you. You know what we said last Sunday? It's the same point. The people that misunderstood they still allowed that things might not be right. And then when they heard what the intent was, they believed the best about them. They didn't say, well, we need to see more proof that this is what you're going to do. No, their attitude was this. There's no evidence that you've actually used this altar for any other purpose than what you've stated. So until proven otherwise, we're going to believe the best about you. Believe the best about people that misunderstand you until they confirm that you shouldn't believe the best about them. They ask the question about me. Well, maybe it's because they don't understand. And so give them, the, give them the possibility that maybe they're just trying to figure things out or trying to work through this until they prove that they have a negative intent. Man, I, I, I don't want to be an ignorant optimist, 
but I do want to be a godly optimist, and I want to think that people love God, and they love each other, and when they challenge me or have a question about something I'm doing, it's not because they hate God, and it's not because they hate this church, and it's not because they don't care about people. Maybe they just genuinely have questions and disagreements. I can tell you how many, how many pastors have assumed the worst about someone in a congregation because they were asked a question. Can't tell you how many church members assume the worst about a pastor because that pastor dared to ask them a question. In a marriage, in relationships, in a home, assume the best until you're proven. They, they assumed that, man, we want to, you're trying to protect us. Number three, be willing to examine yourself and make sure you're right with God. Verse, verse 22 and 23, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth, and Israel shall know if it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord. Save us not this day that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. This is what they say, look, if that's our intent, may God examine us and reveal us, and we need to be accountable for what's going on. They were willing to examine themselves. Okay, this, this really does happen in our home. It doesn't happen a lot, but it really does happen. There are times when Andrea disagrees with something that I've done. I know that's not a shock. That actually happens a lot. Because it takes me a minute to figure stuff out. But she'll disagree with me or she'll say, hey, I think that was wrong or I don't think this is the best way. And there are times, and, and, and I step back and say, if I'm doing right, I'll step back and say, okay, let me, let me think about this. Give me, give me a minute, whatever minute means. Get, give me some time to think about this and process this. And there are times when I've come back to her and said, you know what? You're right. And I was off. And, and, and I need your forgiveness or I just need to change the direction that I, that I was moving. But then there are other times, and I'll make more application about this in a moment, where I come back and I say, I've thought about what you said and I wasn't right. And I, excuse me. <laughs> I'm wrecking my own point. I wasn't wrong. Here's why I'm convinced that I'm not wrong. It's this reason, it's this reason, and this reason. But here's the point. Be willing to examine yourself. Be willing to pause for a moment and say, God, am I actually right? They asked a question, they challenged me. Am I actually right? No, I don't even expect that he would remember this, but Brother Mike one time asked me a question. We're having a leadership conversation and there was a decision to be made. And I was convinced that I needed to handle a situation a certain way. And he wasn't ugly, he wasn't disrespectful, but he did what I asked our leadership to do. He challenged my thinking. And I thought about it, tried to let the Holy Spirit speak to me, and then I looked at him and I said, bro, you're right. And later, his correctness was only affirmed. And our church was helped by that. You know why that was so, why I'm so thankful for that experience? Because it, it, it helped to establish in me that people asking me questions about things doesn't automatically mean they're against me. It means they love God and they have wisdom and they want the best for this church as well. So be willing to pause for a second and honestly say, 
Maybe I am off here. Maybe I do need to reconsider. Number four, be honest and apologetic when you are right. <laughs> okay, you remember the wife, me and Andrea? Because I just, I want to encourage you as husbands and wives, if you're doing, doing right, you don't need to apologize. No, Andrea and I have a rule in our house. We don't apologize because the other person is mad. Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> no, we don't apologize because somebody's mad. Can I just tell you as a church family, you can get fired up about something. I'm not apologizing because somebody's mad. And I don't want this to be an environment where people apologize just because somebody got upset about something. You know when we apologize? When we've done wrong. But we do not use apologies to pacify people. No, it doesn't mean we need to be ugly. It doesn't mean we need to be arrogant. But if you're doing right, the twits on Twitter can get over it. No, look, people are going to be offended all the time. People are going to be upset about it all the time. People are going to accuse you in this generation, raising your children a certain way, raising your sons to be men and raising your daughters to be women. They're going to accuse you of being bigoted and being racist and not actually caring about people. And you're going to have to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Believe the truth that is the foundation for what you're doing. And then you're going to have to do it without apologizing. You know, the world can be angry, the world can be burning itself down, but I am not going to apologize because a right position had in the right way hurt somebody's feelings. The goal is not to hurt people's feelings, but people's feelings are going to get hurt because they don't like things, and it's not my responsibility to pacify them. It's my responsibility to be right in the right way. Okay, there have been times when, to my shame, I've been really fired up about something at home. And you know, you know how it is, when you, men and women, you know how it is when your temper gets a hold of you. And you stop letting the Spirit of God control you. And you get angry. And you start saying things that you don't need to say. And Andrea has, has made a statement like this. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I made you mad. And, and by the help of God... I've responded this way, babe, don't apologize to me. It's not your fault that I didn't have control over my temper like I needed to. I may not have agreed with what you did, but it doesn't give me a right to go around like a petulant child throwing a fit and making statements that are hurtful and completely unproductive. That is true for men and women. You may not, you may not like something, but people don't need to be apologizing to you just to pacify you. And you don't need to live a life apologizing what is true and what is right just because people are angry about it. We live in a culture that caves every time someone gets offended by something. I mean, we, look, I, I could bring up so many examples of this. I, I know there's multiple stories and, and there's different sides to every story. But I'm tired of, I'm so tired of professional athletes saying something and then the mob comes after them and then they start apologizing for how they don't understand. 
Stop backing down when what you believe is right. And if you're going to back down, then just don't say anything. Because you're damaging the cause anyway. Last thing, and this maybe is the most important of all of it. You ready? Ephesians 4.32. Can I have your eyeballs? Ephesians 4.32. Be ye, what is it? Kind, one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know what? Can I, can I just be real for a minute? Sometimes it does bother me when people ask me stuff. Because sometimes in my mind, the question is asked in a way it doesn't need to be asked, or it's a question that, has, that, that I can think it has some kind of motive behind it. Sometimes I can be hurt because someone can almost levy an accusation when they don't fully understand a situation. But you know what the root of not living an offended life is? You ready? It's to remember what Jesus does with you. You know what he does with you? He's kind. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be irreverent. Jesus is nice to his people. He is tender hearted. You know what that means? He has a soft spot for you. No, look, are you saved? Some of you don't know now. <laughs> if you don't know, we need to get that settled this morning. I prayed for that. We pray for that every week. Somebody's not saved. God, help them to get it settled today. No, but if you're saved, you are graven in his hand. He has a soft spot for you. He's tenderhearted. You know what we need a little more of? We need a little more of having a soft spot for each other. And then you know what we need to be able to do? Forgive people when they misunderstand us. Maybe they shouldn't have misunderstood you. Forgive them. You know, my, my question to people when they're struggling with forgiveness is, and I ask this question without bias. I ask it without being nasty. And I'm not even saying it's not hard. I just ask him, has Jesus had to forgive you for anything? then as his child, he has given you the capacity to be forgiving. Here's the statement. When people don't get you, don't get at them. Give grace to help them get it. If you're offended, it might be that, if you're constantly being offended, it might be that you need a better walk with God. I'm giving you something to be offended about. <laughs> How dare you question that? Well, Psalm 119, it's not actually me. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law. And I can disagree with you. It doesn't mean I have to perpetually live being offended by you. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. If you're easily offended all the time, it may be that you are wrong. You know why people scream so loud? Such nonsense is because they don't actually have a factual argument. I heard a politician say just a few weeks ago, 
in this ridiculous election cycle. Heard a politician say that ultrasounds are not real. They're just a guise of a patriarchal system to keep women oppressed. You know why you say such stupid things? Because you're wrong. Maybe you're so offended all the time because you are wrong. And so maybe what you need to do instead of constantly being upset at what somebody else is saying, maybe pause for a moment and not ask them, but say, God, you hear all of this. What's going on in my heart right now? It may be that you aren't confident in why you believe what you believe and why you live the way that you live. Listen, if, if you have a position that people don't agree with, don't be offended by it. Know why you believe it. And their questions or concerns shouldn't create insecurity if you know what you believe and why you believe it. And then last of all, I just threw this in so we could all be offended. It may be that you just need to grow up. I'm going to tell you a quick story and then I'm going to be done. Have eight children. Alexandra is 20 and she is filled with raging sarcasm. She is constantly offending people. And personally, I love it. Whatever. People need to get you are God's gift to a weak culture fantastic but but in our home we teach our children how to laugh man our children i've told you this our children we teach andrea and i teach our kids how to tell your mama jokes like that offends me okay (laughs) it's how i'm raising my children and it's so funny when andrea tells them a your mama joke (laughs) and they're like i like the wires are just, I don't know what to do. Am I going to get in trouble if I laugh at this right now? It's wonderful. And there, there are, there, we have watched the process to where something can really make them mad. And then they grow up. And you know what happens as they mature? They learn how to laugh. You know what I want my children to be able to do? To be able to love people without reservation and to be able to laugh at themselves. That's what I want. I don't want kids walking around on eggshells. I want kids that have enough confidence in who they are and what they believe that they love people without reservation and they know how to laugh at themselves. You know what happens? Sometimes my six-year-old gets offended. But my 16-year-old better not be getting offended. You know why? Because he's 16 and he needs to be growing up. Children of God, we're all a part of a family. Sometimes we just need to grow up in the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to ask two questions. First question is this. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you know for sure that you're saved? Do you know for sure that if you died right now, you would spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? Do you know for sure that you're a child of God? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be anyone who would raise their hand and say, I don't know that, but I want to know that. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to do something weird. I just, in a general way, I want to pray for God to help you have that certainty. Would you raise your hand? 
Say, I see it. Thank you for being honest. You can put it down. Would there be someone else that would raise their hand and say, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I, I want to know that. Would you pray for me? I see it. Thank you. You can put your hand down. I see it. Thank you. To those of you that raise your hand, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything weird to embarrass you, but if you'll, at the invitation time, if you'll stand up and you'll come forward, we'll have a man or a lady take the word of God and show you how you can know you've trusted Christ as your Savior. If you don't want to do that, if you'll just come and talk to me in the foyer after the service, we'll do the same thing in a respectful and dignified way. Just show you what the Bible says about knowing you're saved. It's not something we do. Salvation isn't something we do. Salvation is something Jesus has done so that he can give it to us, and you have to accept that. Number two, for those of you who are saved, and by not raising your hand, you've given testimony that you are saved, I wonder if there would be some young people in here. I wonder if there'd be some young ladies or some young men that you're constantly getting offended at something in the youth group, that you're constantly getting upset about a rule. I wonder if there'd be some married couples that are constantly getting offended at each other or getting offended at their neighbors. I wonder if there'd be some children of God that would admit, I struggle with not being offended. And I need God's help to learn how to process it the right way. Would you pray for me? I see hands starting to go up. God bless you. I know that's a hard thing to admit. And I don't want you to admit something that's not true. But man, give people space. Thank you for being honest. If God has spoken to your heart, then respond to him. Let's all stand together. Brother Nate's going to sing. And we won't drag this out. But if you want to respond, you have an opportunity. If you want someone to pray with you, then we will certainly do that. But let's respond to the Lord this morning.